This is Photo Biz X, episode number 512, and today we are talking sales, whether or not you do in-person sales, online sales, sales over Zoom, you will pick up a ton from today's guest whose specialty is sales. I'm talking about Nikki Rorsch, also known as the Sales Maven, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, host of the Photo Biz X podcast, where I interview photographers and experts from around the world to help you build a better photography business even faster than going it alone. And I know you're going to get a ton from today's guest, Nikki Rorsch, which is coming up in just a second. Before we get into that, if you didn't catch last week's episode with Tammy Miles, make sure you get back and have a listen to that one. Tammy is early on in her photography career. She's recently taken photography from hobby to income producing business and she shares details about that journey, what's working, what hasn't, hiring photography business coaches and how that has affected her business, the sales that she's getting, how she's generating the clients and the leads that she is. I know that you'll love what Tammy shared if you haven't had a chance to hear that one. And stick around for after the interview with Tammy if you haven't checked out last week's episode and you'll hear a conversation that I had with Mary Beth Bryant, who was brave enough to agree to allow me to record our chat about how women in business are treated by other women and men these days, and about some of the mistakes and terrible assumptions that we make when we're even talking to women about their businesses. There's been some interesting positive and not so positive feedback since that one's gone out. So check out that conversation with Mary Beth Bryant. It comes after the interview with Tammy Miles in last week's episode. Now talking about previous episodes of the podcast, one that came strongly to mind in this past week was episode 471 with Andrew Darlow, who covered how to manage your photography backups the right way. And the reason that was at the forefront of my mind last week was because if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you'll know that Linda and I and the family moved house just over a year ago. Well, the house that we were living in before the one we're in now, we had been there for over 18 years. And while sitting at home late last week, we had a message from our previous neighbors saying that our old house was on fire. And it turns out Well, the rumours are saying, (laughs) I don't know for sure if this is fact or not, but it sounds reasonable, that the family who had purchased the house from us were sitting upstairs around the dining table, having a meal, dinner, and someone in the family remarked that the floor felt exceptionally hot. So the dad went downstairs to see what was going on, came racing back upstairs and told everyone to evacuate the house. Apparently... All downstairs was fully alight. There was not a second to save anything. It was just get the family out, call the fire brigade and make sure that everyone was safe. I saw some video footage. I saw some photos. I saw the results of that fire the next day. And yeah, it was, it's totally gutted. The whole place is totally gone. What is frightening to think about is our studio was downstairs That's where we had our backups, our files, our computers. Everything was all downstairs. And it sounds like the fire originated somewhere down there, whether or not it was the old studio or the laundry or under the house, I'm not sure. But yeah, everything was down there. And if that was us and we had to evacuate, well, I would hate to think that I didn't have the necessary backups in place or the backup strategies in place to protect all my files, all my data, everything that goes along with owning a business. So this does happen, like it really does. So please, please, please make sure you do have your backup strategies in place. And if you are unsure about how to manage your backup strategies, please go and have a listen to episode 471 with Andrew Darlow. And I can promise no matter 
what you think about what you know about backups, you will pick up some great insights from Andrew in that episode. I was, I was surprised. I thought I had my backup strategies down pat. And yeah, the very first thing he brought up, I didn't have in place. <laughs> so get back and have a listen to that one. It's episode 471 with Andrew Darlow. And fingers crossed the family who did purchase our house had it insured. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to be too much of a nightmare for them. You're listening to Photo Biz Exposed with your host, Andrew Helmich. Alrighty, we are going to jump into this interview with Nikki. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Nikki. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. The good news, you can access the full interview plus the back catalogue, get an invite to the members Facebook group, See what you're missing out on every single week for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a sales coach, trainer, author, and speaker. She's based in the US. She teaches her clients, many of them photographers, how to naturally move people through the selling process in a way that feels comfortable and results in more closed deals and long-term clients. She focuses specifically on the sales conversation itself by sharing what to say and when to say it so you can see a real increase in your revenue. Now, by way of some background, she sold to organizations including the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Hewlett-Packard and NASA with a business degree from the University of Washington and a master certification in neuro in neuro-linguistic programming, sales has been her thing for over 25 years. I'm talking about the sales maven, Nikki Rauch, and I'm wrapped to have her with us now. Nikki, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to spend this time with you. <laughs> Look, me too. Uh, those organizations that I mentioned, were you actually like selling to NASA? Yes, I actually did sell to NASA. We went in and did a big demonstration. It was at the time where I was selling encrypted wireless audio conferencing equipment of super high tech stuff. And because it was encrypted, we had a uh, kind of a leg up over anybody else because NASA wants their communication encrypted. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a thing to have on your resume. That's so cool. <laughs> so did you actually get to go to NASA to do the sales? So we were actually at one of the bases in California. It's where the you know the space shuttle will come down and land there. But it had just left like two days before my presentation. So I was like, dang it. But it was still cool to be there, you know, with all the NASA logos and everything everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I mentioned and I got tongue-tied when I was saying neuro-linguistic programming. Like, what is that? <laughs> The simplest way to explain it is it's essentially the study of communication. So neuro has to do with the way we process information in our brains. Linguistics is language. And then the programming piece has to do with habits and patterns. And I started studying, it's NLP for short, but neuro-linguistic programming with this idea that it would help me improve my selling skills. But what it really did, and it definitely helped me improve my selling skills, but the ultimate outcome was that it made me a much better communicator. And by being a better communicator, I was able to develop deeper connections with people, have better conversations, and all of that resulted in more sales. But ultimately, it just resulted in better relationships. Right. And is that your philosophy around sales? It's all about relationships? Yeah. I always say rapport first, relationship always. And truly my philosophy of sales is that sales isn't something that you're supposed to do to another person. I think that's a real misconception out in the marketplace. Sales is actually something you do with people. It's a collaborative conversation. And if it feels like anything other than a collaborative conversation, one party in that conversation is probably not enjoying it. Right. So does that matter if you still get the result, if you still get the sale? Well, depending on your business, for me, I find, and primarily with the people that I work with and teach, their you know, repeat business is a big deal. Increasing lifetime value of a client is a way to really scale your business without always having to go out and find that next client. It's always easier to earn repeat business than it is, you know, new business. So 
if that's a part of your business model, yes, that is critical because somebody might buy from you one time, but if they don't have a good experience, if they don't feel like it was a collaboration, if they walk away just feeling like they were just a wallet to you and you're just trying to get money out of them, chances are when they need whatever it is that you offer or they have a desire for for the, your next photo shoot, right? The kids have gotten older or something's transitioned, depending on what it is, you know, the type of photography you're doing, they're not going to come back to you. They'll go find a different photographer. And the thing is, it doesn't really matter what you sell whether it's photography services or whether it's sales services or if it's, you know, coaching, consulting, whatever, there's always somebody else out there that can do a version of what you do. So I think repeat business is pretty important. I do agree. I agree with you. And the reason I asked and sort of led you down this path is because amongst the photography community, there are some businesses that survive and thrive even with high pressure sales Mm. and uh, in fact there was a news report a current affair program a few months ago about a particular studio in brisbane in australia and they were interviewing past clients and these clients were very upset they'd signed contracts for you know three to five thousand dollars worth of photography they came in on a competition that was a free session and then were upsold at the back end told that their photos were going to be deleted if they didn't order right then and there. Like this is a once in a lifetime chance to have these photos. Oh. That was pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly, they get great sales and they survive on just new clients all the time. New clients all the time. Well, you know, it's not the philosophy that I practice under. I mean, yes, there are people out there that that is their philosophy. I'll tell you anytime somebody approaches me, and that is their philosophy. I turn them away as a client. I always say, bless and release. They're not a good fit for my business. They're not good for the things that I teach and the things that I know work in sales. But I do get it. You know, you can feel pressured into making a decision. And this idea of creating this sense of urgency, there is something to that in the sales process. But if it's that really high pressure You know, the other thing too, is that a lot of us have built our business on our reputation. And the way you build a reputation is you start to create ambassadors in the marketplace. Now, those ambassadors can be shouting the negatives, but they can also hopefully be shouting the positives. So I know when I'm going to spend a lot of money of my hard earned dollars, I'm typically looking around in my peer group, in my network, in my friends and family and asking them, hey, have you hired somebody that does X, Y, and Z? And who would you recommend? I would always rather hire somebody that came recommended than just go and do a Google search and find somebody or have somebody say like, oh, we're going to give you this free session. And then you get in there and it's this like super high pressure sales environment. And also I vote with my wallet. So if I don't like the way somebody's selling to me, they're not going to get my business. And I don't care if they want to delete my photos right then. I'll go find somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Look, I feel the same way. And I can assure you and reassure you that the listener is firmly against. Okay, good. Certainly the majority are against that style of selling. But look, it's clear that it works. And that's the scary thing. So when it comes to sales, I totally understand and believe that anyone can become a better salesperson yeah but can anyone or can everyone become a great salesperson in your view i do think so i think it's about being strategic in the conversation and it's also about being authentic because and here's some you know i've i've had the great honor of working with all different types of salespeople in my corporate career you know at periods of time I was managing sales teams. And then at other times I was going out as, you know, being that manufacturer rep with them going and writing alongside sales reps. So I've worked with thousands of sales reps. And one of the things that I found for all the top producers is that they allowed for their own personality to shine through. Now, their personalities were very different. You know, there was, I remember one person who was pretty aggressive. He had that kind of, I think they refer to it a lot now as like that bro marketing mentality. Like he was, he could be pretty pushy, but that really was his style. And in a way, people were almost charmed by it. Now, if somebody else tries to be pushy and aggressive and that's not their style, Oftentimes it comes off very inauthentic, it comes off aggressive, and it feels kind of gross, frankly. And then I've also worked with really top producing salespeople that were like, 
the kindest, sweetest, most soft-spoken person you could ever sit across a table from. And they did really well too. So I do think it's about finding your style and what's authentic to you and then being strategic in the conversation so that you understand where are we in the conversation and what's the next logical step. And this goes back to a belief that I have that as the salesperson, your job isn't to convince people to buy. Your job is to guide people so that they get to the place where there's a decision put in front of them so that they can decide to buy. Okay, I really like that and it makes sense. But I'm thinking as a photographer, if I want to generate higher income, I need to make more sales. So am I trying to sell my client more photos, more wall art, more pictures to hang in the home and more albums? Or do I just need to increase my prices and just focus on giving the client what they want? It might be a combination of both of the things that you just gave me. One of the things I'll say that I find with photographers, and I've I've had, again, just really honored to have worked with some really phenomenal photographers in my uh, with Sales Maven and as a sales coach to them. One of the things that I often work with photographers on, first and foremost, is we need to change the way they lay out their offer. A lot of photographers will start with their least expensive package and then they'll say, but you know, if you jump up to this higher price, you can get more photos. And then if you jump up to this higher price, not only are you going to get photos, but you're going to get this other thing too. And that is not an effective way to sell. You need to sell top down. So what you start with is you could give a range. You could say, you know, our packages range between three and 5,000. Now at 5,000, here's all the things that you get. If you want to step down, you know, you give up these things, but you still get this, you know, this mid-tier package. And then if you're just looking for a basic starter package, here's the, you know, the $3,000 package. Now, by doing top-down selling, what you're doing is you're allowing that person to make a decision as to what's the best option for them. Because as humans, we don't like to have things taken away from us. So we start to, we start to glom onto things. I always say, just like, you know, a baby when it's first born, the one thing a baby doesn't need to be taught how to do is to grasp, to hold on, right? You you hold a newborn baby and a lot of times they end up pulling your hair or, you know, grabbing onto your shirt or whatever. And they, they are like holding on for dear life. As humans, we come out wanting to grasp things. So when you go top down, it allows for people to go like, oh, but I don't want to give up that like amazing top tier package. Like, look at all that great stuff in there. If you start at the bottom and you try to work your way up, it just sounds like you're trying to get more money out of them. And now they're like, so you're saying I have to pay more to get more? That doesn't feel good. But if you start at the top and work your way down, now they're going, well, I really want all that good stuff at the top. Maybe maybe I don't need all of that. So then I'll go with your middle tier. So it's really, really important that when you lay out your offer in front of a client, it's top-down selling first and foremost. And if you're doing it the other way around, I guarantee you when you switch it, you'll start making more money. Okay, wow, I love that. So I have heard, and you may have as well, that some coaches would advise photographers to have this, I guess, a price anchor with a top package, which is almost ridiculous that no one ever gets. Is that a good idea or should it be a realistic package that you expect to sell to some clients? Well, I like to have an anchor that I always say to my clients, be careful, but I love an anchor. So just to say, I love an anchor. I think it's important. Um, And I think that anchor should be something that you'll be happy to sell when somebody chooses it. Realistically, when you look at your business, and this is something I do with clients all the time, I go, what's the main thing you want to sell? Like, what's the package that, you know, if you sell however many of these this year, you're going to be delighted with your, you know, with your revenue and your profit. And a lot of times, whatever that kind of that package is that they most want to sell, then I do recommend putting an anchor price above it, put a bigger package above it. Because again, when you go top down, it's easy for somebody to pick either the top tier or the middle tier, you'll find you'll stop selling a lot of your starter packages. Like people just won't pick it anymore. So I do like an anchor, but I think having a ridiculous anchor at some point, you're going to get it so out of whack that it doesn't really even count as an anchor anymore. Right. So if you say, you know, our anchor package is 40,000 and our mid tier package is five. Well, that's such a huge, it's like the anchor doesn't count anymore. 
But if you say the anchor is 10,000 and the mid tier is five, or the anchor is 8,000 and the mid tier is five, chances are people are going to pick either your top tier or your middle tier. More likely, you'll sell more of your middle tier. Okay. So why do you say or feel that people are less likely to take the bottom tier in that case, even though it's a real package? Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of the basic model. And most of us, especially with something like photography, right? Like it's not a it's not a must-have necessarily. It's something that feels special. So most people, if you're going to spend money on something that's going to feel really special, they don't want the basic package, right? They want the like, oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of like when you go anywhere and you get to choose, you know, what level of package do you want, whether it's a massage or whether it's a, it could be anything. It could be your car. If you're buying a new car, most people don't want the basic model. They want the next step up or the step above that. So it's how you lay it out. And because it's not a must have they're going to probably spend a little bit more money to get that thing that goes like, dang, I'm so glad that this is the package I picked. And you want your clients to be delighted with what they choose from you. And you want them to want to come back and you want them to shout from their rooftops to their friends that, yeah, I didn't just get the basic model. Like we got the full meal deal and it, it was amazing. Yeah, I love that. All right. So staying with the package idea, and saying that most people don't want the basic package, which I 100% agree with as human nature. What about for the photographer that wants to have a starting price on their website that isn't going to scare people away? So they might have a starting price of $600 or $800, even though they really want to sell the $3,000 package. Like, is that going to be, is that the opposite of an anchor where it's too low or, you know, does that need to be higher or is it okay having a low starting price? Well, personally, I like to put my pricing on my website, but I understand for some people that feels So did really... you say on your price list or off your price list? Oh, sorry, on your website. I put my pricing right on the website. Yep. Right. Okay. And the reason for it is because I don't want to get on calls with people that I call tire kickers. <laughs> people that are like, when they see your price, they clutch their pearls and go like, oh, what? I would never spend that. And not because I care about their response necessarily, but because it gets in my mindset and makes me think nobody will pay my prices, which isn't true. So I don't want to get in conversations with people that are, you know, put off by the pricing. But to answer your question, I would recommend instead of putting a starting at, I would put a range. Because when you put a starting at, you just anchor at that low price. But when you put a range, now they're expecting to fall somewhere in the middle, right? So if you just say that prices range between 600 and 5,000, and it doesn't really matter what the range is, but give them something. Because if you just say starting at 600, and then you quote them a price of 800, they're going to be like, what? That's crazy. But if you say it ranges between 600 and 5,000, and then you show them a package that's 2,500, they're like, oh, I'm right in the middle. This, this, okay, this makes sense. I like that. Right? Yes, that makes sense. And so far, like, it feels like we or you are talking about three different packages. Is that the secret number? I like three when I'm laying it out to a client. Now, I have many, many ways that people can work with me, way more than three. But when I'm having a live interaction comment, like conversation with a prospective client, I'm never going to give them more than three options initially. The only time they'll get another option from me is if they decline the first three. So I do think in threes, and I think anytime you get more than three, what will happen is you'll cause people to go to indecision mode. It's that fight, flight, or freeze. And you don't want people freezing up going like, well, now I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make a decision. And don't be afraid if you truly only have one package that is the right fit for them. Your job is to make that recommendation. I always say recommend what they need that's going to solve their problem or meet their you know want. Don't recommend something that is out of integrity, that isn't a good fit for them. They're going to be disappointed or it's just not going to solve that problem. So even if they come to you and they're like, look... I only want to spend $600, but really in order to meet their needs, they're looking at a higher price package. Don't be afraid to say my recommendation for you is my mid-tier package. Then here's what's included in it. And here's why I'm recommending it for you based on the things you've said are important to you, not based on what I think you should do. I'm going to be the expert. I'm going to recommend the right package and then I'm going to 
put a decision in front of you and allow you to, to decide. Right. So if I'm saying that to a client or if you're talking to a client, will you say, this is the package I recommend to you? And then would you say why or restate their reasons? Yeah. So I think it's really important that when you're having that conversation with a client, that you keep kind of where you are in the conversation pretty clean. So what I mean by this is I teach a five-step process to a sales conversation. I call it the selling staircase. I wrote a book about it. I talk about it a lot on my own podcast. It's, it's a common theme with my clients. And the reason I teach it as a staircase is because most people understand that when you're moving up a staircase, you're going one step at a time. And so when you understand where you are in a conversation with a prospective client, you don't try to skip steps. And that's a mistake that people make in a conversation. They, they go right from like, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, do you want to buy a package? And here's why. And you're going like, where did that come from? It feels like whiplash a little. So we don't want people to be surprised when we get to this place where we're making recommendations. And when you're in what I call the discovery step of the sales conversation, that's where we're really understanding what's going on for this person, what's important to them. It could also potentially be the photo reveal. But the idea here and is that a lot of times people will like ask you a question. So the salesperson and me might ask you, Andrew, a question and you give me an answer the worst thing that I can do is go right into sales mode based on your answer. I've got to get through the set list of questions in order to recommend the right solution for you. So I would say, keep it really clean. When you're in your discovery process, don't ask a question, let the person answer and start selling. And then ask them another question, let them answer and sell something else. Because then you start to really muddy the waters and people will go into overwhelm. And they'll, they'll oftentimes they just won't make a decision because they're like, well, now you've listed like 18 packages and I don't know what to pick. So you've got to keep it clean. So ask the questions, have a good understanding of what's the right solution for them and then recommend it. And then once you make that recommendation, then you're going to ask for the business. So that's the close step. That's step five in the selling staircase. When you issue that close, there's a couple things that are going to happen. They're either going to say yes awesome. We have a new client. They are maybe going to ask a follow-up question, which, you know, one of my favorite coaches used to always say to me, Nikki, most people are one question away from hiring you. You have to give them the opportunity to ask you the question. So we want to issue that closed language so that if there is a question that bubbles to the surface, we have the opportunity to address it. Maybe they'll issue an objection. Well, we still need to know what that objection is. It's really hard to overcome, you know, something if you don't understand what it is. Now, they could also say they could decline, right? They could say no. And then there's, you know, there's some things to do next. Or they might say, I need to think about it. I always say those are the five things that can happen when you issue clothes. When I talk to sales or people that are trying to sell their service or product, I find that most people never get to the close. They think they do, but they never actually issue close language. And if you don't issue close language, you're essentially saying to the other person, don't worry, you don't have to decide now. And that's not what you should be doing in a sales conversation. Right. Okay. You said so many things that I want to ask you. I about. know so much. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was awesome. That was so good. I'm going to bring you back to the steps and objections okay. and, and the think about it comment, because I think that these are so, so relevant to us as photographers, but you keep using the term language. What I used to get in uh, called out on, I would say, from Linda, my wife, she would, I would be, say, uh, talking to or having a consultation with a couple that are getting married. They're looking to book a wedding photographer. And she would, after those, con she would hear what's going on, but she would laugh afterwards because I, I would emulate the way the client spoke. And if they were, for want of a better term, bogans, I would start speaking like that. I love that term, by the way. <laughs> You love that term. I told you I love Australia. I love everything Australian and I love your slang. So I love a bogan. Okay. Okay. So you know what I'm saying? So she would say, you sound like an absolute bogan down there talking to them. And I said, well, that's the way they were speaking to me. Yeah. Is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing? It is the right thing to a point. So in neurolinguistic programming, we teach this as matching and mirroring. And so you do want to pay attention to people's body language, the way they speak, because it goes back to 
we like people who are like us. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but sometimes you'll meet somebody and you'll feel that instant connection. Not only will you like them because they seem like you, maybe they think like you or they talk like you or they come from the same place you come from or you know, you like the same things, whatever it is. But the most important thing beyond just liking people who are like us, we also think people who are like us are smart. Right. You know, even though they might not be, <laughs> even though, even though they might be a bogan and maybe you don't think they're the smartest person in the world. So there is this idea of matching and mirroring, but in NLP, we teach, you're not supposed to match and mirror everything. You don't want to match and mirror somebody a hundred percent because that then tips over into like mimicry. I don't know if you ever played that. If you had siblings and I don't know if you have siblings, but yes. you know, when you're a little kid and you know, you have a brother or sister that's being kind of annoying and you say something and then they mimic it. And then pretty soon you're like, mom, <laughs> she's saying everything I'm saying. And they go, mom, she's saying everything. So you don't want it to ever come across as mimicry. Right. So we usually recommend that you match and mirror between 50 and 60% of one or two things about the other person. So it could be their rate of speech it could be the language or the particular terms that they're using. It could actually be their facial expressions or their gestures. You know, sometimes when you talk to people, I'm I'm a big hand talker. I have to be careful when I have my mic around because I smack it all the time because, you know, I'm a big hand talker, which is super annoying and distracting to people who are high visual learners. So I have to remember to like put my hands down when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't talk with their hands. So you do want to match and mirror a little bit. I think what you were doing was spot on. And it's a way to really connect with people. Again, it sends the message, we're alike. It builds that no like and trust. And again, they're looking at you going like, look how smart Andrew is. He's so much like us. <laughs> they're not thinking he's a bogan like us. <laughs> well, maybe, but they might like that, right? True, like true. if you identify true. where I come from, we call it white trash, right? Like, you know, that's in Boise, Idaho. And actually the street that I grew up in, that's kind of a joke in my family. People will say, you're so South Pacific, which is essentially like, you're so white trash, Nikki. But I'm proud of that. It's part of who I am. <laughs> the funny thing is when I was doing it or when I do do it, I'll probably still do it now today. Even in these interviews, I do it without realizing that I'm doing it. And that's why yeah. it was so noticeable to Linda. So is it something that you are, are born with or something that you learn? Well, some of it you have learned over time. You've learned that that's an effective way to communicate with people. So that's a good thing, right? And it's kind of like, you know, trial and error. So a lot of the things that I teach, people will often say like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it until you commented on it. And now, now they can do more of what works, right? So there was a great description that somebody used to say that uh, neuro-linguistic programming is a comment on the obvious that isn't obvious until it's commented on. So I spend a lot of time commenting on the obvious. And once people hear me say it, they're like, yes, oh, of course. Yes, I do that. Or, oh, okay, I see why, because I've been doing it this way, why it really works. And when I do it this other way, why it's not working, right? And then once you know what works, then you keep doing it. Right. So how hard is it to change and not do the things that you were already doing. So let's say you told me today, hey, Andrew, you have to stop mimicking these people. You have to, uh, you know, maintain that high-end feel. Uh, you don't speak, you don't say yeah and nah, you say yes and no, because that's your brand. Like, is that something that's going to be really difficult for me to get out of? Well, it's like anything. It's going to take practice. Like a lot of the stuff I teach, I often say, it either has time-release learning. So sometimes it takes over time where you go like, I know Nikki said this before and I didn't quite get it, but now like all of a sudden it's like the light bulb went on and I get smarter sometimes the further away people get from the things that we teach, right? It's like, oh, okay, now this makes sense to me. So sometimes there's time release learning to it, but sometimes it's about just building that muscle memory. So if you're doing something that is detracting from the selling process or detracting from making real connection with people. It's just learning how to change it. I remember years ago, I had a client, one of my VIP clients, and we were working together. And, you know, people pay me good money to help them be better at sales. And if I notice something that they're doing that could be detracting from them, then sometimes I have to point it out. And in this particular case, I realized with this client, she did this thing that 
in a lot of ways could diminish her credibility when she was talking about her product and she actually had a product that she was selling. She had this really bubbly, really fun personality. But when she was talking about her product, she would do this little thing. She would giggle. She would go. (laughs) And so at some point I said, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to check in with you. Have you ever noticed that you have this little giggle? And she's like, oh yeah, people have commented on it. I was like, do you think it's, it's helping or, you know, like, let's talk about this. Because realistically, it was making her sound very young when she was talking about her product. And that can sometimes diminish her credibility in a conversation. So as soon as she became aware of it, now she gets to work on letting go of the giggle, right? And so, yes, she had years and years of being a giggler. I think she was in her mid to late 30s at the time when we started working together. But over time, she realized she could let go of it. And I've had those too, by the way. So I realized my NLP teacher one time pointed out to me, Nikki, did you know that when you're speaking, you smile the whole time? And at the time I was like, yes, because I'm super nice and I want people to know that I like them. And she was like, what would happen if you relax the muscles in your face when you're talking about what you're doing? So I had to learn how to do that. I was, you know, I was raised in an environment where girls were meant to be quiet and they were meant to be pleasant if they wanted to get along in my family. So smiling was a big, big thing. It still is my natural go-to, but I also know that if I want people to take me serious when I'm talking about things that I know to be true, my expertise, if I can relax the muscles in my face and not smile, I come across more credible. Right. So while you were working on that, is that when, if you were mid-conversation or you're in the middle of a sales call or chat and you felt yourself starting to bring that, or that smile was beaming, mm-hmm. you would then pull it back? Yes. Yeah, I would just pull it back. Okay. So that would be obviously noticeable to the person you're talking with. Uh, surprisingly, most people are more focused on themselves than they are on the other person. So I wouldn't say that anybody would say she went from being really smiley to not being smiley because the thing is, is you can pick and choose your moments, right? Like when I'm interested in the other person, when I want feedback, I can tilt my head and I can smile and I can ask questions. But when I'm speaking about what I know, my expertise, I change my stance and I change my expression on my face. So I can jump back and forth between still smiling in certain instances during the conversation. When the other person is speaking, I can nod my head. I can give positive like, yes, 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 you're getting it. Or yes, I agree. And then when I'm speaking about, you know, my expertise and the things that are, you know, what I'm showing up and being credible about, then I just change it in that moment. And I've never had anybody say to me, you went from being smiley to not smiling, but I have had people say to me, you are so credible when you speak. That's cool. That is cool. So the listener doesn't or may not be aware that we have our videos on at the moment. And even though they're only listening to the audio... So now I suddenly feel self-conscious and feel like you've been analyzing me. Oh, no. (laughs) Am I smiling too much? (laughs) You're absolutely perfect. I could not be more delighted. You've already delighted me with your Bogan reference and uh, your smart questions. So thank you. Okay. So again, for the listener, before we hit record today, Nikki was saying that she's a big fan of uh, Australian TV, uh, which just totally surprised me. (laughs) So Nikki, one of the things you said, and this is a massive one for portrait photographers, especially, is when the client says, I need to think about it. Because usually that means the sale's gone. Often they'll say, particularly if a portrait photographer is in a sales conversation with the mother, who generally is the one that's booked the session and is often the one that comes to the sales session or the reveal session. If only one parent's going to come, it's generally the mum. And the big rejection is... I'll need to talk to my husband once they get the price or I need to think about it. Could be one that a couple says as well. How do we get around that? That is the killer for us. Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. Nikki, I've got one last question to ask you about objections. But before that, I mean, you've already blown me away. The listener's going to be like loving everything you've shared here. Where can we learn more from you? Well, I'm going to wrap it around a gift for your listener, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. So the easiest way for us to be connected is I have an ebook. It's called Closing the Sale. And it kind of talks through some of these last three steps of the selling staircase. This thing about your 
you know, your discovery, laying out your offer, and then making sure you have your closed language. So to get that, you can go get it right now by going to yoursalesmaven.com forward slash photo biz X. So this is for your listeners. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And then obviously that's your website as well. And I can learn more about you and they'll probably get some follow-up emails as well. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So it's yoursalesmaven.com forward slash photo biz X for that download. Yes. Unreal. All right. I know you have another meeting to get to. I want to ask you quickly about objections. I guess the most common one is I love this package or I love what you've shown me. It's just a little bit more than I was expecting. That's an objection, isn't it? Kind of. I mean, kind of, unless just because it's more than they're expecting doesn't mean they won't pay for it. So I would say if somebody said to me, it's just a little bit more than I was expecting, I would say, okay, what would it take to make it easy for you to feel really good about selecting that package? Right. Because I'm going to come back with a question. Now, if they say, I really want this bigger package, I absolutely cannot afford it. That's a straight up objection. So then I'm going to check in with them. So the process here is you ask what's known as a conditional close question when you get an objection, because we need to understand, is this truly an objection or is there something else going on that they haven't really articulated yet? Maybe they're unsure of yet. So a conditional close question just in its most basic form is if I could demonstrate to your satisfaction that we could overcome whatever your objection is, would you be ready to move forward and make a decision today. Okay. So that's kind of, so you're going to tweak it based on what their objection is. So if they say to me, Nikki, I really love this package, but it's just absolutely more than I can afford. Then I would say, if we were able to set up a prepayment plan, would that make it easier for you? So I'm just, I'm not saying, Hey, I have a prepayment plan and we can do it. And it's this, this, and this, and here's how it's going to work for you. Blah, blah, blah. That's, me basically go into sales mode, but I'm not in sales mode. I'm in discovery mode. So I'm going to ask a question and understand if I was able to, or if we were able to set up a prepayment plan, would that make it more feasible for you? And if they go, what's a prepayment plan? Now I can explain what that is. So you're going to pay in increments. We'll deliver the photos at the end of, you know, 30 days or 60 days or whatever. Now, if that doesn't work for your business, don't offer a possible solution that you're like, I hope they don't pick that (laughs) because, you know, that's going to be a problem. But check to see, is this your real objection? Because sometimes they'll say that the objection is price, but really it's that they don't have the limit on their credit card. Well, we can split it between two credit cards, right? So there's lots of ways to find solutions. But if the answer is, I'm going to not make my house payment if I buy these photos, that's different. That's somebody saying they absolutely cannot afford what it is that you're offering because wall art won't matter when they lose their house, right? So in that particular case, there's no overcoming that objection. But chances are, if it's something that there's got some wiggle room, you're just looking to find where's the wiggle and can I offer a solution that's going to match it. So would you go as far as offering a discount or would you rather see the photographer take a product out of that package to make it more affordable? Okay, so I'm not opposed to a discount. I will say though, I only recommend ever getting a discount when you get something in return as the photographer. So you can't just offer a price discount because somebody asked for it. That creates an imbalance in the power dynamic in the relationship. I truly believe there should be a balance. Like we have to be on an equal playing field and it will fluctuate a little in the conversation and in the, in the relationship. But if they hold all the power, they won't value your product. They won't value your service. They won't value your expertise. And if you hold all the power, they'll go somewhere else because it'll feel uncomfortable for them to be in that weird power dynamic. So if somebody said, you know, let's say the package is, I'm just going to make up a price, but let's say it's $5,000. And they say, you know, I I would really love this $5,000 package. It's got everything that I want in it, but I really can only spend $4,500. Now, as the photographer, you have to decide for your business, is this something like, would you be happy with the $4,500? And deliver that package? Or are you going to feel any resentment of like, dang, now they've devalued my work and that feels horrible. If you'll feel okay at the 4,500, then I would ask for something in return. I would say, if I was willing to do it for 4,500, 
would you be able to pay in full today and write me a really great testimonial and post it on social media, right? Like I would ask for something in return that has some value to your business. If uh, if you don't feel good about the 4,500 or you like you'd like the 4,500, but you're definitely not going to give them that full package, then you could say, I'd be willing to build you a $4,500 package. We would take out these two, you know, these two photos, or we would take out this, whatever that the certain finish or whatever it is that you're offering. But then you have to follow up with a closed question. Okay. So you can't just say you'll do it. You have to follow up with a closed question. So I'd be willing to do the 4,500 and we would take out this, this, and this. Would you like to go ahead and make that purchase? So you have to issue closed language with the concession because you don't want them to be like, okay, so now I'm going to think about it for 10 days and then maybe never get back to you. No, if you're going to make some type of a concession, then you have to issue closed language and see what they say next. And the reason for this idea of issuing closed language is that uh, we have decision fatigue. Like it's a, it's a real thing. I don't know if you've heard that there's a statistic out there. I don't know. Do you know this, Andrew? Like on average, how many decisions a day an adult makes? No. They say it's up to 35,000. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> is that crazy? That is. So we have decision fatigue and it's also been proven that brains are lazy. <laughs> They'll do our brains want to do the minimum amount of work possible. So we won't make a decision if we don't have to. But the way that you make it really easy for people to buy from you is you put a really simple decision in front of them. If you don't put the decision in front of them in the form of what I call closed language, oftentimes they just won't decide because their brains are lazy and they've already made 34,000 decisions today before they came to the reveal with you. So you got to make it super simple. So make sure you follow up with the, it could, you know, I just gave you one way to say it, but there's many ways that you could say it. You could say to them, you know, if I was willing to do this 4,500, we took out these pieces. Would you be ready to, to go ahead and purchase the package today? I love it. Nikki, you are amazing. You've given us so many ideas, so much to think about. I mean, I, I knew there was lots of sales and I knew that we could get better at it. I didn't think it would be this easy to get better at it, the way you've broken it down. <laughs> Thank you. I'll uh, obviously get links to where people can find you and get that download in the show notes. Massive thanks for coming on. I'm so glad we connected and thank you for sharing everything you have. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nikki Roche as much as I did. Nikki, if you are listening, again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. For you, the listener, I do hope there were a ton of takeaways from what Nikki had to share. Don't forget to go and check out her ebook. It's free for you. You can access it at yoursalesmaven.com forward slash photobizx. It'll be the perfect companion to go along with the show notes for today's episode. You'll find them this week at photobizx.com forward slash 512. Now in those show notes, you'll find links to anything and everything that Nikki mentioned. It's all there in that one spot. You'll also find links to the other episodes I mentioned. Again, they are at photobizx.com forward slash 512. And make sure you get that ebook at yoursalesmaven.com forward slash photobizx. I've got one big shout out for today's episode, and this one goes to a photographer that you may be familiar with. He participated in the Coaching Diary series. I'm talking about Richard Grenfell. He's based on the Sunshine Coast and is focused on boudoir and headshot photography. And this review is a little different. It's not in iTunes. It's not on Google. It came to me via email, and it was following the recent Build a Website That Works course with Jeff Brown. And... Richard obviously took that course, that training. He's made some massive changes to his new website, which I've got to say looks incredible. And in his email to me, Richard says, thank you, Andrew, for hosting the Build a Website that works with Jeff Brown. I knew my old website sucked, but did not know how to make it unsuck. I did the course and I followed Jeff's step-by-step guide. With his help, I now have a website that looks awesome and is 8 million times better than my old site. And I'm confident I will get a much better inquiry from it. 
Thank you, Andrew and Jeff. So massive thanks to you, Richard. And like I said, mate, congrats on, on putting in the hard work and making the changes. Your new website does look and read incredibly well. It, it, yeah, it's an absolute testimony to the hard work that you've put in. And I can't wait to see how it converts now that you've made those changes. Uh, if you're listening and you haven't heard or seen the course or you want to learn more about it, that course with Jeff Brown, you can simply head over to photobizx.com forward slash website course. And again, Richard, thank you so much for your kind words about the training with Jeff. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Just before we close out today's episode of the podcast, I was interviewed by another photographer, a fantastic photographer and a past guest of the Photo Biz X podcast. I'm talking about Paula Brennan. She is the personal branding expert. And I've got to say, if you are into personal branding or you do any kind of personal branding or headshot photography, you need to go and check out the interview with Paula because she has an incredible business model different to anything else I've heard from other photographers. So go and check that one out. And if you want to hear me on the other side of the questions for a change, I've got a link to the podcast episode that Paula recorded with me. There's also a link where you can watch it on YouTube. It's about a 30-minute interview. It was a lot of fun. And the title of that episode for Paula is The Past, Present and Future of Photography with Andrew Helmidge. I talk a little bit about my start as a wedding photographer, how I sustain my business through major industry changes, my 100 Strangers project, burnout, and the value of creating a lifestyle-focused business. And we also talked about AI and the future potential for early adopters. So again, there are links to that in the show notes for today's episode. Go and check out Paula's podcast, and you can get a taste of that with that interview with me that she recorded and released last week. Alrighty, that is it for this episode of the podcast. I hope business is going well. You've really hit your stride for 2023. The leads are coming in. You're making conversions. The shoots are going incredibly well. And the follow-up sales are the best you've ever seen. And if not, hopefully you picked up some great tips from today's guest, Nikki Roche. All right, have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. Stay safe, healthy, and well. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 